Welcome to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness. It's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. Welcome to the Vitality Radio Podcast. On today's show, we're going to be talking to Dr. Joel Walskog. Uh, we have had a little bit of trouble getting him on uh, for uh, for internet reasons, uh, but uh, we've got him here today, and I'm excited to have him on. I've had a couple of pretty long conversations with Joel uh, already in the past, and uh, and I am really excited for him to be able to tell you his story. We're going to talk uh, in detail about the reality of what it's like to be vaccine injured, and uh, what it means, and how many people it affects. Uh, those are those are the topics of today's show. If you have questions about anything you hear on Vitality Radio, of course, always. Give us a call at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. You can also uh, join us online now. We have our new website launched and ready to go. It's vitalitynutrition.com. You'll have access to the shows there. You'll have access to uh, to products. You'll have access to everything we do at uh, Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful, Utah. So vitalitynutrition.com or 801 292 6662. Now, before I uh, introduce Dr. Walskog, I want to uh, mention that on the 4th, two days from now, the 4th of March, um, which is March 4th, there is a march uh, in Salt Lake City starting at the Capitol at 4 p.m. That's in Salt Lake at the Salt Lake City or the Utah State Capitol, sorry, at 4 p.m. There will be a march uh, against mandates, uh, a march for medical freedom. I will be speaking. Uh, between four and five, along with a dear friend of mine, uh, Brianne Dressen, and a few other uh, wonderful people will also be uh, speaking. And then there will be a march from five until seven. That's this Friday, March 4th, uh, at four o'clock at the Utah State Capitol. Uh, please join us if you can. We'd love to have you there. And now, without any more delay, Dr. Joel Walskog is joining me on Vitality Radio podcast. Dr. Walskog, welcome back to Vitality Radio. Thank you for having me, Jared. Really happy to have you. And, uh, I, you know, we've, we've done this before. Uh, nobody's heard it, but we've... <laughs> We've done this before. Uh, we've had some issues with the recording, and uh, we're hoping today goes a little more smoothly. But uh, because we are a little bit short on time, let's dive right into it. Uh, I have you as a guest because I uh, was able to make your acquaintance through our mutual friend and your co-founder of React 19, Brianne Dressen. I am excited to have you on, but I'm not happy about why I have to have you on, and that is your story of the COVID-19 vaccine injury. Can you tell us your story, please? Yeah, I'm a now 52-year-old guy. I live in just north of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Pretty much been in the Midwest my whole life. Married my college sweetheart. We have four kids. I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I specialize in joint replacement. In uh, the, I've been in practice now, say, for about 20 years. In the fall of 
2020, in about September of 2020, everyone in my clinic, including my, my medical assistants, uh, a nurse, my physician assistant, several other people were getting COVID and um, they kept going out and on sick leave. And I was wondering how uh, I didn't get it. So I decided I, I must have been exposed. So I decided to get a COVID antibody test. And ironically, I was positive. So I had basically asymptomatic COVID. So that was about September of 2020. And at mm -hmm. that time, uh, I followed the, the CDC recommendations, which at that time were wait three months after getting COVID and get vaccinated. And I felt, uh, you know, when my number came up, which was part of, if you remember back, the 1A group, healthcare workers were considered the 1A group. I figured I would do my part. I rolled up my sleeve and on December 30th of 2020, I got my first Moderna shot. Getting the shot was uneventful. Uh, I had a little soreness, it was no big deal. Uh, went on, lived my life, but about seven to eight days later, I woke up from bed and told my wife my feet were numb. It was odd, I have to admit, and, and when I say numb, I mean pins and needles sensation. I originally thought perhaps it was from my neck. I have a history of some uh, arthritis of my neck or what I would call disc disease. And I thought perhaps maybe I had a herniated disc that was pinching on my spinal cord. Uh, you know, I let a day or two pass. Then I called a friend of mine who was a spine surgeon. I saw him. He said he didn't really know, but maybe it was my neck. So I got an MRI of my neck considering the obvious. And I, I wasn't at that point remotely thinking about the vaccine. So I got the MRI and he called me and he said, basically, uh, there's nothing new. I certainly have some arthritis of my neck, but there's certainly no changes that would account for my symptoms. So I said, well, huh, I don't know what to do, but I'll do what I do best, which is, you know, go on, live my life and see what happens. But my, my feet were continued to be numb. And as the day, you know, as the day progressed day by day, the numbness would kind of uh, propagate higher up my legs and kind of up to my ab, you know, my kind of belly button area. Then move forward, maybe, I don't know, less than a week. I was at work. I was sitting there talking to a patient and I tried to stand up. And as I tried to stand up, I just couldn't, my legs wouldn't go. So I pushed myself up with my forearms off the examining table and uh, immediately kind of fell back. And I just had no power, no control of my legs. I, you know, I, I kind of explained to my kids, it's kind of like my legs became noodles. And um, obviously at that point, I knew something more serious was going on. And that started a whole workup that included you know, an MRI in my brain, an MRI in my entire spine. I got a lumbar puncture, which is kind of a spinal tap. And I got, you know, hundreds of blood tests. And everything was negative, except I had a lesion, which is a spot on my spinal cord in my thoracic level. So at the T8, T9, or the eighth or ninth kind of thoracic vertebral area. And that spot... Uh, then led to a, neuro a neurology visit, and that neurology visit quickly came up with a diagnosis of what's called transverse myelitis. And transverse myelitis is a condition where um, there's an area of your 
spinal cord or your nerves that are kind of um, where the, the myelin, which is the protective layer over the nerves that helps the nerves transmit electrical impulses where that myelin is, is degraded or injured. It's really at that point where I said, hmm, you know, I did have that vaccine seven to eight days before. And, and I also remembered hearing and reading in the news that the AstraZeneca trial in the United Kingdom was delayed twice for three cases of transverse myelitis. Treatment-wise, I started treatment with high-dose steroids. That really didn't get better. My legs persisted to be numb. They persisted to be weak. Uh, I had really poor balance. I could only be on my feet two to four hours a day. Uh, I was falling quite a bit. My neurologist recommended I take two or three months off. I, I'm certainly a kind of a type A personality, or I would say double or triple A. And I decided I'd take two weeks off, not two or three months off. I felt a little bit better, but I tried to go back to work and it was really a dismal failure. My legs were just completely unstable and I was not safe to work as an orthopedic surgeon. Um, I tried some other medication, include what's called IVIG. Really nothing, nothing is improved. And, you know, I've been pretty much the same over the last year. Immediately after my, after I kind of put the two together, the symptoms and, and, and the vaccine, uh, I contacted the, uh, I submitted what's called a, a report, a VAERS report, which the VAERS system is called the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. I reported immediately. So this was very soon after I got the diagnosis for the, for the neurologist. Uh, you know, because it was a pretty, a, to me, an alarming diagnosis, and it's such that it delayed the AstraZeneca trial for, you know, two times for three cases of transverse myelitis. I expected a phone call literally within a day or two. Well, I didn't get that. Days passed, weeks passed, and then about three weeks later, I just said enough is enough. I don't know why they're not contacting me. So I contacted the CDC and really demanded to talk to somebody. And someone did call, but basically said there's been no, in their data collection, there's been no increased risk of, or increased reporting of cases of transverse myelitis after the vaccines. And that's basically the last time I've really ever spoken to someone in the CDC. Hmm. So they said that there's no increase and that was, uh, sorry, what month was that that you contacted CDC? Well, that was in uh, probably the end of January to early February. But I also know someone in April um, who there's a pharmacist down in, I believe, Indiana who reported uh, he actually wrote up his brother's case who also had transverse myelitis after um, a COVID vaccination. It's interesting. In April, he showed me an email from the CDC that they reported that there were no cases of transverse myelitis after the COVID vaccinations here in the United States. All right. So then your since then, uh, what you've had no interaction with CDC or FDA. Uh, what about Moderna? I notified them. I also notified my employer where I got the shot and I really demanded to speak to someone at Moderna. But 
they never called. They sent me a report, which was basically a duplicate of the VAERS report, but with their name on it. So I sent it to them, but nothing happened. No one contacted me. There's, there's been no contact after the initial discussions that I demanded with the FD, I'm sorry, with the CDC, but there's been no subsequent contact by, um, by the CDC, NIH, FDA, or Moderna. And now we're talking, what, uh, 14 months ago, or, or pretty close to that, 13, 14 months since the, since the injury in the VAERS report. Correct. And I don't anticipate hearing anything. I, I honestly have real, realized over time that they don't really want to know. And that, of course, uh, is is one of the biggest problems with all of this because you're not the only one uh, in in those shoes. You mentioned specifically you have this uh, other acquaintance that uh, filed a similar report in in April. When was it that you discovered that you weren't alone and that there were other people who were reporting these things and getting nowhere? Well, that pharmacist was probably the first one. He actually, uh, I reached out to him when I read his report. Uh, he actually did a case report, which is he published a just a report of his brother's story. And that was probably in, uh, I don't know, May, maybe, May to June when he published that. So that kind of was the start of that discussion. And then, um, you know, I certainly felt very much alone and, you know, it's a process of grief, you know, where you're kind of feeling like you're going to lose your career. And I spent, you know, after high school, probably spent over 14 to 15 years in training. And, and I at first was certainly in denial. And then, you know, April and May, I was pretty angry about the whole situation and, and truly felt that I was abandoned. And that's the best term. People certainly can criticize me. And I, the criticism, I think, is valid that I probably should have done a lot more research about the, um, at that point, I really trusted the healthcare community that I was part of. I also trusted the regulatory agencies and the health agencies like the FDA, NIH, and yeah. CDC. So people criticize me a yeah. lot today, you know, for, for not really kind of quote, doing my research and having all this education, but not doing my own research. And in, in retrospect, Hey, I deserve the criticism, but at the same point, I felt like I was kind of doing my job and trying to continue to work and help the people that I help and uh, feeling like I really was doing my part as all of us were. Right. Well, that's what we were all told that that is what we do. We do our part to protect uh, others and to protect, you know, the most vulnerable and, and so on. And, and then, of course, the the overriding message constantly being safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective. And uh, unfortunately, many people uh, took that at face value. And that is, and, and I would anticipate, and I don't know, you know, you, you and I come from a very, very different background as I've been on the alternative side of this stuff my whole life and have a fairly healthy distrust of, of uh, government and medicine and, and have had for, for a long time. And so I was I was doing digging uh, at the same time as as you were making that decision. The frustrating thing for me is that as as someone who was 
aware that this was happening. I've been talking about this since before your uh, before your injury uh, that I had concerns about some of the reports that were coming out uh, from the trials and the history of these types of vaccines and things like that. But the frustrating thing for me, and, and I've talked to you about this, and I've talked to um, you know Brianne, who, who we're going to talk a little bit about her here, here in just a second, is that you're you people are like stuck in the in the crossfire because the people who have been pushing so hard for vaccination and mandates and all of the other things that have gone along with this COVID, what I call COVID hysteria, are wanting you to keep quiet because they don't want to create vaccine hesitancy. And then on the other end, you've got people like myself, and and, and I hope to think that I'm not <laughs> that I'm not in this group, but people that are uh, coming out with all guns blazing, criticizing, and, and critis- criticism is what it is, but th- there's been some pretty heavy hate uh, thrown at the vaccine injured uh, by people who, you know, kind of fall into that uh, quote-unquote anti-vax crowd saying, hey, you know, you were dumb enough to do it. You deserve the consequences. And to me, there's just absolutely no excuse for either one of those points of view the the point of this entire thing is we've been told from day one that we're you know we're all in this together and yet the division that has happened has been i think catastrophic for for our nation as a whole uh based on you know whether you are or you're not a proponent of wearing a mask or you are or you're not a proponent of getting vaccinated or or in this case or nowadays boosted and and so on and there's there's no room for that. Your injury is real, and it's not okay, regardless of the decision making process that that took you to this point. At least that's my take on it. Well, I agree with you. Uh, you know, again, we do get kind of caught in the crossfire. We call ourselves the vaccine's dirty little secret, but you're right. Again, the people that are anti-vax and anti-mandate, you know, certainly criticize us that we should have known and we should have done more research and no doubt about it. To some degree, I, I, I accept that criticism. Uh, from the other side, though, um, from the people that are really pro-vaccine and and, and uh, don't want to you know, hear that there's problems with the vaccine, as you know, it, you know, the words safe and effective drive me absolutely insane. Okay, so effective that, you know, the vaccines were to prevent and the vaccines were to prevent transmission, which it did neither. Uh, Safety wise, you know, and we can talk a little bit about the safety concerns of the vaccine. They're enormous. But at the same point, um, I am just speaking publicly, not for myself. I am just speaking for the basic humanitarian purpose of trying to help these vaccine injured uh, people. And these people aren't just ignored. You know, I always say, I always said that I felt abandoned. These people are actively censored. People don't want them to, you know, they don't want to hear about it. And they have, it's amazing what I've gone through, but it's amazing what the whole group has gone through with regards to active censorship of our issue. We are clearly, we are, I'm sorry, we are frequently labeled as misinformation when we just speak data and facts. So I always say that counter information or truth of data, frankly, 
is not misinformation. Right. The counter narrative uh, may be uh, opposite or uh, in conflict with the uh, prevailing narrative, but that does not make it misinformation. In fact, it's very easy for me to see. And I've been, I mean, I've been, the, the, the history of this COVID thing is just, it's mind blowing in a lot of ways. And, you know, when with this whole thing started back in, you know, March, April, I was doing, uh, you know, the best job I could reporting on what I thought we knew at that point, as far as COVID-19. And of course, all of us were pretty clueless at that point as to what was happening. And there was a lot of speculation and a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, I, I think misinformation is probably the wrong word at that point, but just information coming out that nobody really knew what was true and what wasn't just based on our history with it was so short. But it relatively quickly, I thought, became apparent that we were being given a whole lot of misinformation through mainstream media, through government sources. I've constantly uh, been calling Dr. Fauci Dr. Fallacy. Uh, through this entire process, because nothing he says ever ends up adding up uh, in to the to the actual truth of what we know. And then when you share actual data from real people, such as yourself, with real medical a real medical history post vaccination, and then we find out that you're not alone, that there are thousands and thousands just like you, then yeah, that's labeled misinformation or disinformation, and it's banned and it's censored, and it's pulled off of YouTube and all the other places, and it's absolutely ridiculous. Because if we're in this together, and we're in this for the common good, and we're in this for everyone's health, we ought to know what the risk factors are and true informed consent before somebody puts, frankly, any medicine in their body, least of all, or or most of all, maybe uh, a uh, medicine that is under an emergency use authorization and we don't know all that much about. So let's let's jump into uh, the group. You've mentioned the group a couple of times. I've talked about uh, Brianne and we mentioned React 19. At what point uh, were you starting to come into contact with more than just this pharmacist that you mentioned and recognizing that there were a lot of people in your shoes? Well, Brianne Dressen is uh, a preschool teacher that uh, lives out in Utah by you. And uh, she has part of the AstraZeneca trial late in 2020. And she, she had one adverse event. I'm sorry, one vaccine had a uh, had adverse event. And then, you know, the way they dealt with her data was they removed her from the study. So um, her data just disappeared because she never got the second shot. So she was removed from the study. Then in the summer of 2021, uh, Brianne Dressen uh, presented with five or six other vaccine injured people at a hearing, ironically, here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, that was hosted by Senator Ron Johnson. So Senator Johnson just wanted to give these people a platform to speak. And I can understand that because, again, you're, we're not acknowledged, we're, we're, we're truly abandoned and censored. So I can understand that. I watched that. Uh, I got in contact with Dr. Johnson's office, I'm sorry, Senator Johnson's office, and then um, kind of got, I got into the circle with Brianne, and we ended up hosting a panel on November 2nd uh, out at in Congress in D.C. at the Senate building, 
and Brianne and myself, as well as several other vaccine injured people. And we invited our own scientists, our own PhD researchers and our own MD practitioners and presented kind of more than just stories. So we did present our stories, but we tried to present the science of, of what we were talking about, the science of the concern about the vaccine safety. Um, that's really where Brianne and I, as well as numerous other vaccine injured people really melded and gelled. And I left DC and I told my wife, I, I said to her, I know what I need to do. I mean, I really left there with a true passion and in a direction of, I have to help these people. My, I am fine. I will continue to live my life. Yes, it's certainly life-changing that I probably never will go back to work as an orthopedic surgeon, but I left DC knowing what I needed to do. So Brianne and I and several other uh, people from that event really very quickly uh, join forces. We started a, a react19.org organization. We formed a corporation. We applied for 5013C nonprofit status. And we very quickly now have at least, and we're almost, I think, approaching 13,000 people in our organization. And if you think about that, that's pretty amazing because those people that started this organization, we really just met three months ago. Now we're actively, you know, we're not just about telling our story either. We want to do something. So really the overview of our organization is, is, is we're a bunch of vaccine injured people here to serve the vaccine injured. And how do we do that? So, you know, what are our, what's really our mission statement? Well, the way we're supporting vaccine injured people is really through three different areas. First, financially. We've raised a fair amount of money uh, and we're continuing to try to get our word out and try to raise money through donations um, to raise money in order to give it back to the vaccine injured people for uncovered medical expenses. Just this week, we're starting our pilot. It's called the Care Fund or the REACT Care Fund program where we're giving direct financial grants to vaccine injured people for un uncovered medical expenses. Second, the other thing we're trying to do is we're trying to create our own researcher and provider network. Researchers, there's a lot of researchers out there that want to help, that have, have opened their minds to vaccine injuries, but we're trying to get them together. We're doing our own research per, you know, within our organization, but we're trying to get uh, all these researchers to work kind of together. We're also trying to create a provider network because Unfortunately, there's not, a, there's not a ton of what we call as vaccine injured friendly healthcare providers out there that really will rec that recognize the problems that we're having, be willing to treat us. So we're creating our own network. We're exploring some telehealth options also of how to provide care throughout different parts of the country. The, the last thing we're doing is really emotional support. Um, I kind of call it the social psychosocial element. And we're doing that through creating our own support groups for these people. And we're trying to do it through ways that are uncensored, unfiltered, and protected. Obviously, the groups that talk about their vaccine injuries on Facebook just get taken down as mis and labeled as misinformation. 
The other thing we're doing is trying to explore the possibility of kind of what's called a buddy system where we're trying to connect a person that's say a year out from a vaccine injury uh, with a person that just got diagnosed to kind of help them guide them through the process. So that's really what our organization's about. Uh, we're just doing a big upgrade of our website. I always say we're kind of like an airplane that's in flight and we're still building it. So our website really doesn't adequately reflect what we're doing just because we have much effort into creating the substance. But hopefully our new website will be launched within two weeks. Uh, so we've been very busy. And I say that we've been doing that in, in we did all that in, in less than three months. I mean, Brianne, certainly I, I love her. I mean, she's she wants it all done yesterday. It does take time. But we really, if you look back, have done a heck of a lot. Moving forward, we're continuing to talk to anybody who will listen. We're trying to get the word out. Why do we want to get the word out? Well, we need just to have the issue acknowledged. And if, if the community, the healthcare uh, system and, and the governmental agencies recognize and acknowledge the issue, I think in the end, we'll get better care. Now, people go into the doctor and have some neurological issues after a vaccine adverse event. And the, the doctors don't even know what to expect, what to look for. Yeah, exactly. And, they, and, and they've been told, like you were, that uh, this stuff really doesn't happen with these vaccines, right? These are, these are safe and effective. The same thing that we hear over and over again. So I want to talk a little bit about the first off. I'll, and and of course I've told you this off the air, but thank you so much for what you're doing because there are there are so many people out there like you, and and I don't want to skip over the just the sheer number um, thirteen thousand people in your group, uh, which are either injured people or families of people who've been injured or 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 who have died. That's an astounding number when you consider that your group is damn near impossible to find through social media or any of the traditional ways that people would link up to uh, someone like yourself because you're being censored, you know, in every possible way. And so for 13,000 people to have found you is uh, gives you an idea of, of the fact that that may actually be a bit of a drop in the bucket uh, versus all of the people who have actually been injured, and of course, if you look at the the VAERS numbers, uh, the the numbers are substantially higher uh, than uh, thirteen thousand. They're in the you know hundreds of, of thousands of of reports uh, of a variety of different injuries. And of course, uh, I, I don't remember now. You may know the number better than I do. I haven't looked for a few weeks, but I think we're approaching twenty three thousand reports of death. Uh, from uh, COVID nineteen vaccination is, is is that pretty close? Have you been looking lately? Yeah, yeah. So VAERS, I can't say I've looked real recently, but it's well over a million report. The last I looked, it was almost one point two million adverse events reported. And again, remember, Jared, most people really agree that um, there's a significant portion of adverse events that aren't reported. And, you know, people can say, and you're absolutely right, there was over 21,000 deaths. The COVID-19 VAERS data is 24,400 deaths. It's it's almost 1.2 million um, 
total reports uh, to the VAERS system, which is really interesting because VAERS, the VAERS system has been around for you know over 30 years. And there's been reports of various vaccine reactions for years to everything from MMR to the flu shot, with the flu shot actually having the bulk of the, the vaccine adverse events up until now. But the uh, COVID vaccine events are in, in, what, a year? We're just a little over a year uh, after they were first being administered, um, have already trumped everything that happened over the first 30 years of this data reporting. And so the numbers are just, they're staggering, really. And and now I want to, I interrupted you, but uh, please go on with what you were saying about what the actual reporting is versus what it's believed um, isn't being reported. Yeah, well, to review a little bit, I mean, I, yeah, I, I was on the understanding that, you know, VAERS was about 1.2 million reports. and you're, But I, I do agree with you, there's 21,000 reported deaths. Now, some people may say, well, those deaths could be from other reasons. However, 30%, of those deaths of the 21,000 occurred on day zero, one, or two following the COVID shot. And that's significant. So um, if you look also at the VAERS data and look at total, let's say, um, total adverse events from 1996 to 2021 and compare it with adverse events reported with ivermectin, for example. Over all of those years, what is that, 25 years, there was 3,756 reports of adverse events from ivermectin as compared to the 1.2 a million adverse events from the COVID vaccines over the last year. Let's just talk about flu vaccines. Flu vaccines, there was 197, 816 adverse events reported with flu vaccines over the last 25 years in comparison to the 1.2 million reported uh, to uh, adverse events from the COVID vaccines in the last 12 months. I could go on and on, but my point is this vaccine has an exponentially increased risk of adverse events, okay, as compared to other drugs and other vaccines. Yeah, and I want to also, and I appreciate you going through those numbers because they they really are staggering. I want to also make sure that we understand um, or that those listening understand that when you say this vaccine, you mean the COVID vaccines as a as a group. And in America, it's J and J, it's Moderna, and it's Pfizer. But then Brianne, who's right here in Utah, close by me, uh, was in the AstraZeneca trial, and and that never got approved here, but was used all throughout Europe and and uh, various other countries. And so we have four different types of vac- or four different brands of vaccines, a couple of different types of vaccines, and these adverse events are from the, the group. None of these vaccines appear to be particularly safe or effective uh, at doing their job. So it's a it's a real problem. Let's let's jump back to React 19 in terms of the people that you actually have had contact with with your organization. There's almost 13,000 of them. What types of injuries are the most prevalent uh, within your within your group? Is it the same type of injury that you're dealing with? 
some. I mean, again, I can talk a little bit. We did a study basically reviewing 500 of our vaccine injured randomly. First of all, I want to say the majority, it's interesting, are women. About 80% are women. Okay. Uh, we've seen them occur equally after, you know, first, second shots and even boosters. Okay. Uh, the types of symptoms are, there's just a huge variety of symptoms. The top three are actually fatigue, brain fog, and paresthesias. Fourth is dizziness. Fifth is, you know, heart and cardiac issues. Most of the time, the symptoms start within two to three weeks after the, after the shot. Most of the time... I would say in most cases, the symptoms have significantly improved by five to six months out from the adverse event. However, unfortunately, there's a significant portion of people that have permanent symptoms. We asked patients, we said, or we've asked the vaccine injured if they could permanently eliminate one single symptom, which one it, would it be? And by far, what people said is the number one symptom that caused the most morbidity or more problems for them was painful neuropathy or painful nerve pain. What we looked at was the etiology or the problems that we were seeing, and it really fell into three different main categories. The first is the allergic group. The second is what we would call as the autoimmune group. And the third is called the inflammatory group. The allergic group really consists of first, there's some people that just get a very anaphylactic reaction, meaning they, you know, that's where they get the shot, you know, and 10 to 20 minutes later, they have throat swelling and get epinephrine, they get it, you know, and they get better, okay, as long as they get treated. But the allergic group also includes a whole group of people that are having chronic problems. And it's often what's called uh, mast cell activation syndrome. So mast cells are the cells that are in our body that produce histamine. You know, histamine, you know, is the, the chemical that causes, the, you know, you'd have an allergic reaction and or have a, a itchy rash in your skin. And that's why sometimes when you have an itchy rash, you take an antihistamine. But those cells are also around your nerves and around your guts. So a lot of people with this mast cell activation syndrome get uh, stomach and intestinal problems. They get nerve symptoms as well as getting, you know, skin and itching problems. Now the autoimmune group, and that's probably where I fall. The autoimmune group includes numerous different diagnoses. Um, Probably the number one is, is the one that, you know, where the, the mRNA vaccine and maybe because the spike protein looks a little bit like proteins on the surface are nerve cells. And, and basically what you get is an autoimmune attack on your nerves. And that's why you'll hear people like me that get transverse myelitis, which is an autoimmune attack in my spinal cord. You know, if that autoimmune attack occurs on their peripheral nerves and their nerves of their arms and legs, that's called Guillain-Barre syndrome. And both of those conditions are probably an autoimmune attack. Now, the inflammatory group, that's the group of people where they 
after the vaccine, their body just gets overly inflamed and basically you just get high levels of inflammation around tissues such as your veins and that's where people get blood clots. But it also includes the whole group with cardiac and heart issues. So if you get too much inflammation in the lining around your heart, that's called pericarditis. And if you actually get inflammation of the heart tissue itself, that's where you get the myocarditis. So that's kind of a general review of kind of all of the kind of conditions we're seeing, but it's really, it's a whole group of diagnoses, but it's a whole group of uh, syndromes. Often people don't just have one of these, they have multiple. So we're seeing kind of a whole slew of what we would call as syndromes, not just one condition. Right. And that, that's certainly uh, been echoed by other people I've talked to uh, who are vaccine injured is that it doesn't seem to often be just a thing. There's multiple different things that they're dealing with. So there are a couple of things that I think are, are really concerning that I want to I want to get out there. But before I talk about that, I want to ask you if there is somebody listening to this and they know they themselves or they know someone who is dealing with these types of symptoms, uh, what would you suggest that they do? Do they reach out to React 19, file a VAERS, VAERS um, report? What, what, what's the process if somebody wants to try and figure out if, that, if a vaccine injury has occurred to them or someone they love? Well, first of all, I mean, obviously, I'd recommend that they reach out to their healthcare provider and, and certainly get checked out. I think that's important. Uh, I'm not saying necessarily that they're going to get what I would call as an empathetic ear, but I still think it's important if they have a significant concern that they had an adverse event, they reach out to their healthcare provider. Next, I think it's important to report to VAERS. Now, do I think anything happens when you report to VAERS? No. However, I want them to know, and I don't want the FDA and other governmental agencies down the road to say they didn't know about it. So I urge people, if even if you think you might have an adverse event, to report it. Why? That's science, so we can study it, so we can get data. So I think it's important to report it. Next, there's a what I would tell to all the people that are um, had adverse events out there: you are not alone. I know how it feels to feel abandoned, and I'll tell you, it is very helpful personally, to know that you're not abandoned and to have support. I'd encourage people to go to www.react19.org. Believe me, our website will look much better and be a much better accurate reflection of what we're doing within the next two weeks. But you can submit a testimonial. You can submit a request to be put into some of these support groups. We will help you. You're not alone. There's other groups out there. There's other uh, long hauler, you know, support groups, but we're very focused on just trying to help the people that are suffered or sustained an adverse event from the COVID vaccine. So let us know. We're here to help you. That's why we're here. That's why I'm passionate about this. And I want everyone to know that um, they're not alone. Excellent. I appreciate that. So let's talk about where we're at right now. It's March Second, as we're having this conversation, 2022, um, COVID seems to be almost being swept under the rug at this point. Although when I drive up and down the freeway here in Utah, 
I keep seeing propaganda billboards telling me how important it is that I get boosted. There are still lots of people that are uh, choosing to get their boosters at this point. I, I don't know what the statistics are. I'm not sure if anybody does exactly. And of course, there are children uh, who are um, getting these vaccines, which was not the case early on. What are you seeing in terms of people reaching out to you uh, as far as the age? Are the ages coming down? Are you seeing more young people uh, reaching out to React 19? Yeah, I'm heartbroken. And let me, about the children, and, and let me, we are on a major push right now to what we call a Save the Children. And I want to push the Unity Project out of California a little bit. Uh, we're going to be holding with them, or it's their event, but they've asked us to present. The Unity Project is working to fight the mandates in children uh, in the state of California. Uh, we are seeing numerous adverse events with children. I'm probably getting at least one email a day of, hey, you know, I know this person. Can you reach out to them? Their child had a, uh, an adverse event. I just had one with some interstitial lung disease. And unfortunately, we're having child deaths. It was just a seven-year-old that recently died uh, here in the United States. And, and my heart breaks. Um, the risk of COVID, okay, for people under 30 that are otherwise healthy, the risk of significant mor morbidity, which means illness or mortality, which means death, is minuscule. That risk, the risk of that to the same group of the COVID vaccination is significant. So I would urge parents out there, I would urge young people to demand they receive informed consent prior to getting the vaccination. What is informed consent? Well, it's understanding the risks, the benefits, and the options. And without true data, without being given the data, the true data, which is the vaccine safety data, which is owned by the pharmaceutical companies and controlled by them. I am a absolutely emphatic about this, that people aren't able to get informed consent. So I urge parents and I urge young people, particularly people younger than 30, to really be thoughtful, much more thoughtful than I was. Okay, if I can save one child through this whole process, if I can save one person, I'll be happy. But really, the young people got to demand they receive informed consent, demand they understand the risks, see the data, look at the data, understand the data, the benefits and the options. That's important for informed consent. I laugh when I think it, when I saw Dr. Fauci say that, quote, he, you know, I am science. That's absolutely ridiculous. There's hardly any things in this world that are absolutely true. Gravity maybe is one. But beyond that, science is a, is a growth. I mean, look at thalidomide. Thalidomide was a drug that was used that was in the 60s and 70s for infertility. And that led to, you know, a lot of children and even children generations later that had no arms. Okay. And he, horrible birth defects. Um, so people really, and I urge them, <laughs> just be more critical. Demand informed consent. Well, especially too, you know, you mentioned it's an interesting thing when we talk about the children because you mentioned that you've received your more than your share, I'm sure, of criticism because, you know, A, 
You're an adult who can make his own decisions. You're an intelligent, educated adult who who actually has an education in medicine. You're a you know orthopedic surgeon with years under your belt of of medical practice, and you made a decision that now uh, you get to deal with for uh, currently and p- p- perhaps the rest of your life based on what it sounds like. But it's a whole other story as a parent to make that decision for their child without demanding that information, without getting the informed consent, without just looking at the risk-benefit ratio. I mean, that's what medicine has, you know, what what's known in this country as evidence-based medicine has always been about is, you know, is the risk uh, smaller than the benefit? Is the benefit significant enough that we're willing to take the risk? And, you know, you mentioned gravity as being maybe something that we can all agree on is, is an absolute scientific fact. Uh, how about that these vaccines truly aren't safe and effective? I believe we've got enough facts to back that up right now as well. So if you're looking at this as something for your child, please, please look at both sides of the story. Reach out to groups like React 19 listen to the people who have a story to tell and just simply look at the data because the data, you know, you said minuscule, which is a pretty, that's a, that's a good word. Um, it's almost non-existent. Uh, it's, it's so minuscule, the risk, especially to children in that, you know, five to 12 range, the, the, uh, all the way up to teenage. And interestingly enough, when you get into young men, uh, their risk uh, of myocarditis is substantially higher than any risk that they're going to face with COVID-19. So I couldn't agree with you more on that. What about people with the boosters uh, being out? Are you hearing people getting their first adverse reaction post-booster shot? I haven't ever talked to you about this, and I'm wondering if if that's happening uh, based on what you've been able to assess. Yeah, so... I, I can't speak numbers, but what I can say is what we're seeing is is alarming because we're seeing significant numbers of children, but also significant numbers of people getting their adverse event, starting with their boosters. So, yes. Um, the other thing I want to touch base a little bit, too, about myocarditis is myocarditis, even if you look at the, the VAERS data, the VAERS data in young men is alarming. Even according to the VAERS data, 60%, of the adverse events in VAERS are actually categorized by the CDC as serious. Yet in the common everyday you know, media, they say, oh, the myocarditis is mild. No, look at the, look at the data from the VAERS. Look at the governmental agency data which actually says 60% of the myocarditis or the cardiac issues are severe. So um, again, it's, you know, I'm a big believer. We're not seeing all the data. Uh, We're not being told all the data because the data is owned by the pharmaceutical companies. Um, We're working to try to get that data. But at the same point, even the data that we have, it's not being communicated to the public. It's, it's, it's almost like all of these people are complicit, okay? The governmental agencies, the pharmaceutical companies, and the media are all working together to push this false narrative, okay, that 
the vaccines were the cure. Believe me, I wish they were. No one wants this. I mean, I'm just like everybody. I want the COVID pandemic to be over. But let's be honest in retrospect and realize that everyone put, and when I say everyone, I mean the pharmaceutical companies and the governmental agencies put all of their eggs in the vaccine basket. Well, it turned out, okay, the vaccines weren't safe. They're not effective. I can talk, you know, we talked enough about safety, the efficacy. Clearly, they were designed to prevent infection and prevent transmission. That didn't happen. Then it switched to this narrative, which, you know, is also debatable about decreasing hospitalization rate and death rates, which is a whole other debatable subject. But regardless, we ignored the whole comprehensive approach that we could have taken over two years ago, which is look at early treatment, look at prevention, look at vitamin D, look at all of these other things that we could have done and therapeutics if you had COVID. But yet we put all of our eggs in the vaccine basket and no one really wants to say, well, you know, we kind of got it wrong. This last two years, you know, we lost trillions of dollars. Significantly people are injured or died and we kind of did it wrong. Well, okay, I think we should kind of have that honest opinion or honest discussion. But really what I hate what we're doing now is we really didn't make a good decision. We didn't really have a good vaccine. And now we're going to continue just to go with the bad decision and still say it's the right thing to do. It's crazy where we're at. And unfortunately, Jared, you know, I've changed my view on how I look at things. You know, I, I thought the FDA, for example, was really, you know, and if you look at their website, they're about, they're supposed to protect the public from medicines and medical equipment. Okay. And really they're not, okay. They're not an agency that's looking out for us. You know, in, in the airline industry, you have the FAA, right? And there's an independent regulatory agency called the National Trans Transportation Safety Board. There's no such regulatory independent agency. It's supposed to be the FDA, but the FDA is working with the CDC, NIH, and the pharmaceutical companies to really push this narrative of the vaccines are the holy grail, and even though the data shows they're not safe, they're not effective, we're still going to push them. What it comes down to, I, I think, Jared, in my realization of through this experience last year, there's the underlying evil, which is often the evil of the world, which is money. And I will always tell you, if you follow the money, you can usually follow where, you know, where the origin is from. And it's, this is really about money. Some people say it's about control, but I think there's a huge financial incentive. Obviously, you see the profits of the pharmaceutical companies. But remember, the money of the funding of the governmental agencies come from Big Pharma. The, the CDC and FDA advisors who are voting members of, uh, of, the, of the FDA and CDC who make recommendations or lack of recommendations about the vaccines often have a financial interest. What I mean is they own stock in big pharma. It's, it's a crazy situation. There's so many conflicts of interest. It, it, it shouldn't be like that in healthcare. We should be about trying to help people. I, I am so, com I, I'm, I'm so passionate about this that this isn't a Republican issue. This isn't a Democratic issue. This isn't an independent issue. It's not right nor left. This is about helping the vaccine injury. And that's really what I'm trying to do. 
Yeah, and I honor you for that because it would be easy, I think, to wallow in your own self-pity of, you know, what happened to you and uh, to heck with everybody else. And uh, you good people at React 19 are putting in, you know, really full-time work trying to help other people in your shoes as opposed to just uh, sitting back and dealing with your own um, your own injuries. You know, I was talking to Brianne yesterday and, and she said the amount of you know work she puts in for React 19, she, she's confident that it's probably slowing down any recovery that she can have with her own injuries, but she just feels so passionate, just like you, about all these other people and, and doesn't want to abandon a single one. Um, and all of you seem to have a very, very similar story of, yeah, feeling that abandonment, like I don't matter, I'm I'm a statistic that they don't even want to exist, and therefore nobody cares, and I want to state from the, the side that I am on with this as someone who is, thank goodness, not injured by the vaccine, didn't get vaccinated, uh, that you have uh, absolutely my attention and my compassion. And I want to wrap this up because I know you've got another meeting right after this, so I don't want to keep you longer than I than I promised. But I do want to let uh, those who li- are listening know that they can help. Uh, if, if these stories are compelling to you, if you feel what I feel when you hear these stories, then you'll do what I've done and you'll get involved with React 19. And the there are uh, different ways to do it, certainly, but the best way at this point that I'm aware of anyway is simply to uh, donate to React 19 so they can do the research that they need to do so that they can provide funds for people who have been forgotten, abandoned, and are unable to pay for the treatment that they so desperately need post-injury. Um, and uh, Joel, I'll let you uh, tell uh, everybody listening, the best way to do that. How can people get involved if they want to uh, support React 19? Well, thank you, Jared. And, and I really want to end by just reiterating, this isn't about me. And, you know, I'm not doing this for myself. I'm a very private person. And people certainly can criticize me for what I've done in the past, meaning getting the jab. It's fine. And and I, I have very thick skin. Uh, I'm a private person, but I have dove head first to help these people. And I'm going to, I'm not going to stop until we can try to save every person that we can. And we try to get the truth out there. How can people help? Two things. They can go to our website, which is www.react19.org. And there's a donate button on the upper right. The easier way to honestly donate is just simply through a text to give. So if they go on to their texting platform, and text the word react, R-E-A-C-T, to 50155. That'll give them a link to a donation platform. And I commit, we commit, that every dollar that is donated through that texting platform, 100% of it will go directly to the vaccine injured. So text R-E-A-C-T to 50155. Yeah, and and I've done that. It's it's very very simple. Uh, it's uh, it's a couple of texts. You text, they text back to confirm, 
and uh, you you uh, you know you follow a link and and determine how much you want to donate. And I would encourage you not only to make a, a one-time donation. But uh, again, if you feel as strongly about this as I do, um, I have a recurring donation uh, set up uh, where they, they uh, get me once a month for, for my donation. And I feel so good about every dollar that goes to React 19 because, you know, when you look at the world and the crazy situation that we're in and all of the, all of the propaganda uh, about everything. And you look at all of the charitable organizations that are out there, you know, the, and I'm not picking on anybody, but the United Way is, is the one that kind of, I don't always comes to mind or the Red Cross, um, you know, these organizations, uh, to, to some degree do good work, but the bureaucracy involved in these giant mega charities, uh, oftentimes chews up, you know, 80% of that budget. React 19 is as grassroots as it can be. These are real people that I've had real deep conversations with, uh, Joel, of course, but also Brianne. Um, and you can't support a better organization that is doing better work. I truly, truly believe that. So if you're willing to, uh, to jump on board, uh, they would love to have you. It's 50155. Uh, that's the number that you text. Uh, so if you're not uh, super tech savvy, that's okay. It's uh, Use that like it's the phone number. Type it in there. Text 50155. Um, and your the, the message that you're sending is just react, R-E-A-C-T, or of course, react19.org and uh, hit the donate button. Joel, I want to let you go because I know that you're uh, you're uh, probably running late now for your next thing. But thank you so much for joining me. Um, if there are updates on how people can get involved with React 19, events that people need to know about, anything, uh, my uh, my audience uh, will hear about it uh, from me, and I'd love to have you on again uh, anytime. Jared, thank you, and God bless you, and thank you for doing what you're doing and helping us get our voice out, or get our message out. Absolutely. I'll, uh, I'll do everything I can. I appreciate it. I'm going to let you go and then we'll, I'll wrap up the show uh, in your absence. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on Vitality Radio. Okay, so that was Dr. Joel Walskog. Um, he and I have had three pretty substantial conversations um, over the last I think month, and um, I've, I, I certainly haven't gotten to know him. You know, we're not close personal friends, but I can tell you that this is a man who is in it for the right reasons. Um, and React 19 is that. I spent 90 minutes on the phone with uh, Joel's co-founder of React 19, Brianne Dressen, who we've already talked about. And if you'd like to hear her story, you need to hear her story. It's episode 183 of the Vitality Radio podcast. I'd love to have you hear it and share it and share this one uh, with friends and family. And, and uh, we need to get this message out there because even if you feel like some people do that these people made their own bed and i i don't like that <laughs> i don't like that idea listen nobody's questioned this vaccine more than i have and nobody has felt more strongly i don't think about not getting these vaccines than i have but there are people who have been misled misguided lied to blatantly lied to who have made this decision and they don't deserve the consequences that they got from that decision. Under any circumstances, do they deserve that? That is not uh, the way that I look at it anyway. 
if you're not able to donate or uh, you know whatever it is, there are things that you can still do to support these people who've been injured. The single biggest one is get the word out. And if you like what you hear on this episode, if you like what you hear on episode 183 with Brianne, um, share those episodes. Um, let these people, these people's voices be heard. I think it's so very important. And that's why I'm dedicating my time and uh, some of my resources to try and help these folks. And I hope you'll do the same, please. If you have questions about uh, anything else uh, that you've heard on Vitality Radio, of course, reach out to us at Vitality Nutrition. It's 801-292-6662. If you want to talk to me personally, uh, you can uh, call Vitality at that number, 801-292-6662, and they can put you on my schedule. It is a busy schedule, but I'm happy to talk to anybody um, if you'll just tell them that you'd like a uh, like a free consult with Jared. That's what I call it. If it's about your own health, if it's about anything that has to do with COVID, you know, whatever it is, I'd be happy to talk to you and get you on my schedule. I, I love what I do, and one of my favorite parts of what I do is getting the word out about things that, frankly, are being lied about in the mainstream media. And, of course, COVID is the top of that list over the last couple of years, and and maybe Russia, Ukraine. I, I haven't made up my mind on that just yet. Anyway, um, I'm going to uh, quit uh, dilly dally and we'll wrap up this show. Uh, I want to remind you, it is five zero one five five. That's the text number. React is the text message that you'll send, and and you can donate uh, through that, or you can go to react19.org. And then one other reminder: on March fourth, that's two days from now. If you're listening when the show is released uh, on uh, Wednesday the second, March 4th at 4 p.m., uh, we are going to be at the state capitol. Brianne, who we've talked about quite a bit, will be there speaking. I will be there speaking. And I know there are a couple of other speakers, but I haven't been told who they are just yet, or I would share it with you. Uh, four to five is the rally uh, with the speakers. And then there's a two-hour uh, march uh, from five to seven that you can choose to participate in if you'd like. This is all about um, mandates, preventing any further mandates from happening here in Utah when it comes to vaccination, as well as um, raising awareness about the vaccine injured, uh, raising awareness about the dangers of the vaccines, the boosters, and certainly maybe above all else, the vaccines for children. Um, that's what we're going to be talking about at the rally. It's March 4th at the Utah State Capitol. And uh, if you haven't heard enough of me yet, I'll be speaking all about freedom uh, at that event. And I'd love to have you there. Hey, thank you so much for listening to me. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your energy. I've met so many of you listening over the last several weeks that I just am so thrilled to know that you uh, you know, frankly, I'm not alone in this fight, that we are all looking for truth, that we are all looking for um, an education that we can use to better our health, to obtain optimal vitality, and to fight through the mainstream media propaganda and government propaganda when it comes to your health care. Thank you so much for listening to me. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this is Vitality radio. You've been listening to the Vitality Radio Podcast. Enjoy your week. 
In the meantime, Jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it. Vitality Radio is researched and written by Jared St. Clair. Our awesome music is by Brian Bob Young. Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Vitality Radio. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast has not been evaluated by the FDA. This podcast is provided with the understanding that the information shared is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a medical professional. Thank you.